We will be reading this morning from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. And we will be reading the book of Psalm, verse, or all of the book of Psalm. One moment. Genesis 1.1, this is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me or cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, merciful, gracious, wonderful, the one whose knowledge, whose omniscience is too high, too lofty, too grand, too otherworldly for us to apprehend, comprehend. But Lord, you graciously allow us to apprehend you in your word and in creation and special and natural revelation. And we pray this morning as we approach your special your supernatural revelation that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds that understand, and hearts that believe. For it is by your Spirit and by your Spirit alone that the wind blows and gives life to dead bones. Give to us, Lord, those who may be dead here this morning, give to them life by the hearing, the means of grace of your word. 
and those who, by the Spirit of God, live. Help us live even more so to the glory of God. Help us get even more so a clearer, better vision of our God. Though we may always see through glass dimly, let us, Lord, please, we pray, let us gain a better Not fully, not completely, but better understanding of our God. I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you and you alone can become more. We pray and ask all these things for the glory of God, the sake of Christ, and for the good of his people. Amen. You may be seated. Again, welcome on this Lord's Day as we continue our study, our series, First Things. A study through the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Last week we took some time to consider that God does not exist in time and space or space and time the way that you and I exist in space and time. You and I are are limited. We are limited by spatial locations. When we are in one place, we are completely there. In that one place, we are not here and also somewhere else at the same time. When we are here, we are here. We affirm that God transcends all space. And at the same time, God fills all of space. God transcends all of space. And at the same time, God fills all of space because God is or exist independently and freely from creation or outside of creation. His existence is not limited to any kind of spatial boundaries. We exist in space, in locations, and we are limited by creaturely limitations. But God is not limited by creation. Why? Because God is free from creation. And he is free from spatial limitations. And he is therefore free to fill all of space. God, as we talked about last week, is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Just as God transcends space and fills all of space, God also transcends time and fills all of time. We learned that this is called God's eternity. Or God's omni-temporality. God is timeless. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we, we have potentiality. We have the potential to become things that we are not. We have the potential to increase. We have the potential to decrease. All of this happens over time. Because we are subjects to time. We are bound by time. This is how we know life. This is how we know our existence, but it is not so for God. God does not have potentiality. God cannot become anything. God cannot increase. He cannot decrease. He cannot grow. God is everything. He is pure being, no becoming. God is all that he is, all at once. God has no beginning. God has no end. There is no becoming in God because God does not exist in time the way you and I exist in time. He transcends all of time and he also fills all of time. We learn this is a great encouragement for the believer because we Because we know that God is outside of time, transcends all of time. We therefore do not fear time. We do not fear today or tomorrow or eternity because time is in God's hands. His story has already been written. And this story has been written to us. We know the end. We know that in the end God receives As he always will, all of the praise and all of the glory and all things will work together for his, for our good and for his glory. Therefore, we do not fear and we don't fear tomorrow, but we look forward to tomorrow. We yearn for that day. And while we wait, 
for the consummation of the kingdom of God. While we presently wait, we enjoy the means of grace that God has provided for us here when we gather for worship. He is present with us. He, whether you physically see him or not, as his word is going forth, it is his word, not mine. It is God's word using me to speak to you as his voice. You are now present with God and enjoying the means of grace that he has provided for you in his word. And now today, brothers and sisters, I once again confess with the Apostle Paul that I am once again out of my depths. As we have been rowing our analogical boats, as it were, into the depths of the wonderful mysteries of God. The waters have not become any calmer. As a matter of fact, they have become even more violent as we have attempted to row deeper and go further. And I don't know about you, but I have been tempted to to just watch from a distance, to go no further and to simply say from a distance, too grand, too grand, too grand. I will stay where I am and go no further. But I can't stay where I am. And you cannot stay where you are. Why? Because God is calling me closer. And brothers and sisters, God is also calling you closer. We can very easily, Sunday after Sunday, and even now, Wednesday after Wednesday, forfeit all of our efforts in continuing to row forward by simply saying, I will admire God from a distance. I'll admire him from afar. But then what would that leave us to say about God? Only he's really big. He's just too big. What are they teaching? I don't know, but he's just too big. What have they been talking about? I'm not sure, but here's what I know. God is big. Too big for me to put any more effort into drawing nearer. So I'll stay where I am. No. It is true that we have exerted much energy in these lessons. But are there not wonders? Are there not grand wonders that await us if we would only be diligent? If we would only be consistent? Of course there are. So be disciplined. Keep rowing. Seek after God with all of your heart. Don't stop. Don't stay where you are. And today, as we consider God's knowledge, I confess that I know far too little, that I know so little to ever begin to begin to speak about the knowledge of God. I know too little. Our desire is that God himself, through our fragile and weak speech and through the exposition of his word, would make himself known and that we might be able to share Job's experience that we have spoken of him, that we have heard of him by his power, the power of his spirit and through the ministry of his word that he has made himself known. And when he makes himself known that our hands would would go over our mouths and that we would bow our hearts before him. That we would feel constrained to prostrate ourselves in the dust before the sheer majesty and splendor and glory of our infinitely great God. This should be true when we think about the knowledge of God or the the omniscience of our God. The knowledge of God is is better known to most of us as the the omniscience of God. Omni, coming from the Latin prefix omnis, meaning all. And scientia, 
coming from the Latin meaning knowledge, all knowledge. What is simply meant by the omniscience of God is that God literally, literally knows everything and that everything he knows, he knows perfectly. And all things that God knows, he knows absolutely and exhaustively. Too wonderful, too wonderful. There is nothing hidden from God's sight. And with that said, this morning, we will consider just three points. Number one, concerning the knowledge of God or the omniscience of God. God knows himself. Or God's knowledge of God. First point, God knows himself or God's knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, one of the greatest weaknesses of our flesh is that we know ourselves far less than we really know. One of the great weaknesses of our flesh is that we know ourselves far less than we really know. We are complex individuals, are we not? We believe that we know one thing today and the next day we have completely changed our minds. We make promises with an oath one day and the next day we've completely forgotten those words that we've, we've said with an oath. We make plans one moment and the next day change or even the next moment change our plans. For many of us, if you were like my wife and I, you can't even decide what you would like to eat for dinner. Why? Because I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what I feel like eating. Maybe I want a hot dog. Maybe I want to talk. I, I, I don't know myself. I, I don't even know myself well enough to know what I want to eat. We are complex. We are complicated. We are a wretched race that is prone to wander, prone to leave the one that we love. We say with the apostle, and he lamented in Romans 7.15, I do not understand my own actions. I don't even understand myself. For I do not do what I want to do. But the very thing that I hate, it is that thing that I do. I don't understand myself. Verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. What a wretch. What a wretch that I am. One of the greatest weaknesses of our flesh is that we know ourselves Far less than we actually know. But, and praise God for the but, it is not so with God. We are complex. We are complicated. All that is true in terms of our complexities and our complications is not so with God. God is not complex. God is not complicated. God is simple. God is immutable. God is what he is altogether, perfectly and all at once. He is not like you and I. We are to and fro. God is who he is. No to and fro. God is simple. In terms of his perichoresis, the eternal union and communion of the triune God, the father knows the son perfectly and exhaustively. We will spend eternity and never come to a full understanding of, of God. And yet the Father knows the Son perfectly and exhaustively. The Son knows the Spirit. We are constantly trying to discern what the Spirit is leading. And the Son knows the Spirit perfectly and exhaustively. God the Father does not say of God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit does not say of God the Father. And the Father does not say of the Spirit, and maybe I've said all of those over and over again, but the triune God does not say of one another, He's complex. He's hard to understand. He's complicated. No. God is simple. He is all that He is all at once, perfectly and exhaustively in the triune God. There are unfathomable depths of wisdom and knowledge, unfathomable infinite riches of knowledge that far surpass even His revelation to us. 
We think what we know is deep. And even what he has expressed to us, even what he has shown us is beyond our understanding. Imagine if he spoke to us in the way that he communicates, we would fall down and die. Brothers and sisters, God knows himself in all of his limitless being, in all of his excellent virtues that are far too vast for our finite comprehension. God knows himself. The Father knows the Son in the Spirit. The Son knows the Father in that same Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is always the Spirit of truth, brings forth to the Father and the Son all of the deep things that are in God. God communes about Himself, within Himself, and He rejoices in all that He is. 1 Corinthians 2.10, these things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. There is nothing hidden in God, from God. There is nothing hidden in God, from God. There are not separate wills within the triune God. There are not separate desires within the triune God. And if there was, could we really say that God was triune and one? No. We could not. There is nothing externally hidden or unknown to God. In all of the external works of God, what the old theologians used to call opera, ad extra trinitatis, The external works of the Trinity. There is nothing hidden from his sight. As the Apostle John says, he knows all things. As the eternal, sovereign God, he cannot be ignorant of anything. Nor can his knowledge be increased or decreased. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Only with perfect knowledge could God judge the world in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, pause. We are not saying that God's knowledge is like our knowledge, only greater. We're not saying that God's knowledge is like our knowledge, only magnified. No. God's knowledge is not like our sciences. God's knowledge is not like our knowledge, our understanding only magnified. When we are speaking about the knowledge of God, we are speaking of of ones whose whose knowledge is altogether different from ours, altogether otherworldly than ours. He's not only a man that he should not lie. He is not a man that he should know as created people know. He's not created. His knowledge transcends created beings' knowledge. And in the 139th Psalm that we read at the outset, the psalmist is reflecting on the omniscience of God. Not because he's interested in philosophical debates, but because he is altogether taken up with the glory of God. And what it means for him to know in life and experience that his God, his covenant God, knows all things. Psalm 139, 5, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And what a wonderful point it was this past Wednesday when we spoke about the incomprehensibility of God. What was the final point? What did you walk away with? Praise. All that we've spoken about, even in this first point, that, that you may be, that may have your head spinning. And listen, brothers and sisters, it should If you walk away and say, that's too hard, I did my job. And your job is to fall on your knees in the dust and to worship God. If you say, over my head, beyond my mind, glory be to God. 
Stay there. Live there. Continue to learn, continue to grow, and continue to be in awe that it is far too wonderful for you. The underlying motif of Psalm 139, that the one that holds or, or threads through this psalm and holds this psalm together is the psalmist's astonishment of the knowledge of God. May we go a step further. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Can we go a step further? Let's do that. Secondly, the immensity of God. The immensity of God. Can you shut the air off, please? Up. The immensity of God. Psalm 139, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Our point, the immensity of God's knowledge, the immensity or the profundity, the profoundness of God's knowledge, unlike our knowledge, is this. It is that God's knowledge is not dependent upon light for understanding. Do you hear that? God's knowledge is not dependent upon light for understanding. Brothers and sisters, how do you know what you know? How do you know what you know? What do you know? How do you know what you know? We all possess uh, different knowledge. You don't know what I know. And I don't know what you know. We all possess different knowledge. But how have any of us gained any knowledge of anything? We have gained knowledge by virtue of light that has been provided for us. We know what we know because God has provided light so that we might be able to see, perceive, and understand. Our knowledge is dependent knowledge. From the very moments that we were held in the arms of, of whoever it was who raised us, our knowledge has been increasingly growing. Our understanding has, has been increasingly becoming more. We have been dependent upon our parents or whoever it is that raised us to teach us. We have been dependent upon teachers, upon books, upon life, upon experiences, upon successes, upon failures to give us knowledge and to give us understanding. And yet, our knowledge is still profoundly lacking. All that you know, all that you have been taught, all of the information that has been given to you, and yet you and I are still profoundly lacking in knowledge. There is much that we possess. And there is so much that we have been taught and forgotten. How many times have you sat in this church alone and heard truths from God's word only to walk out and say, I can't remember what the sermon was about. How many times have you studied for tests, racked your brain all night long? Some of you college and, and, and high school and junior high and elementary students. How many times have you sat through Classes, taking notes, racked your brain all night long studying for a test and done well on the test. And if I were to ask you a question now, you might choose all of the above because you don't know. Our knowledge, our understanding, our information is quickly fleeting. It's running away from us. Remember third grade? You can't, can you? Why? Because your knowledge is increasing and decreasing every single day. Every day. The psalmist, he marveled. He marveled about God. The immensity of God. 
the, the immense knowledge of God and, and the apostle Paul marvels as well. For who has understand the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? God has never been the pupil of anyone. No one has ever been God's professor. There has been no book to ever inform God or ever instruct God. God does not need to be instructed. God does not need to be instructed about the power of the sun. Or its hottest temperature. God does not need to be warned of changing seasons and how he's addressed in those seasons. God does not need to be or stand in awe of mountain peaks of Everest and beyond. No, brothers and sisters. God has never been instructed because God is not dependent upon creation for his understanding. He transcends creation. His knowledge is that of a designer, not a user. He, is, he has designer knowledge, creator knowledge. We have user knowledge. We could say, I know our children. I know my son Nazareth better than anybody in here. Because God has called me to be, in a sense... A creator. And therefore I know him better than anybody here. And yet God knows my son better than I could ever know him. God's knowledge is not dependent upon sensory experiences. The experiences by sense, that is sight. He does not need to see to understand or touch. Or, or taste, or smell, or hear. In the 139th Psalm, the psalmist is saying that all of our human understanding, all of our knowledge, is only possible because we have been given light. We have been given light to see. And listen to this. God's knowledge is not dependent upon his first creation. What is his first creation? What is the thing that he said, let there be? And do you realize that light depends upon God for its light? That even light depends upon God, the one who gave it light for its light. And all we understand is light is just is what it is. And light saying if it were not God, if it not were for God, it would be completely dark. Therefore, darkness is as light to God. It is regarded as nothing to God. You shut off the lights. If all lights were to go out, God would not say, where am I going? Darkness is considered as nothing to light to God. Light is considered as nothing to God. He does not need it. And as we shall see, God separated day. He called the light day and the darkness night. He does not need information to know. He does not need uh, to, to study to gain knowledge. He does not need an experience in order to understand. He is the source of all understanding. And you and I, you would understand nothing if it were not for God. Even what you know, even what you know by, by, by perception is given to you by God. Is given to you by God. It's not like our knowledge. Our knowledge is dependent upon God and his creation. God's knowledge is dependent upon no one. The, the psalmist confesses in Psalm 139, 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Even my unlived days you saw. He once again makes this point. God's knowledge is not dependent upon this world of creation. The existence of the world is the consequence of God's knowledge. God's knowledge is not the consequence of the existence of the world. It's the other way around. God knows all things out of his self. He knows all things 
out of his own plans, out of his own sovereign good pleasure with respect to what he will do in creation, in providence, in eschatology, and in glory. Because all of those things have come into existence because of God. Last things because of God. Glory because of God. Providence because of God. All of these things are in him and are sustained and exist because of God. The immensity of God's knowledge. The immensity. It is altogether different, altogether profound, altogether too wonderful, too high for you and I. And last but not least, God knows you. God knows you. Psalm 139 verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Before, even before a word was on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you knew it all together. You know it all together. You hem me in behind and before Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. As we conclude, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have known me. As he meditates on the truthfulness of this, he reflects on the rhythms of his daily life. Think about that. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. Things that are incidental. Seemingly incidental in his life, the things that he can scarcely remember about himself. He recognizes that God has perfect and intimate knowledge of the details of his life. Let me ask you. Before you sat now, when was the last time you sat? And when was the time before that that you sat? And when was the time before that that you sat? Or as you rose this morning from your bed, from your pillow, when was the last time before that moment that you laid your head down? Can you remember? Or how about the time before that? Or how about the time before that? You see, all of these things may escape us. We may know where we sat and where we laid as far as today goes, but yesterday and the day before that and the day before that at last year. Or how about tomorrow and next year? Where you will sit and where you will lay. God knows. God knows. Did you come to tell me this morning that God knows where I'm going to sit and that God knows where I'm going to lay? The point is this, that even the seemingly insignificant moments of your life, God knows. Even the apparently incidental moments of your life, you're lying down, you're rising up. God knows. And therefore, since he knows the incidental things of your life, it would conclude that God even knows the intimate details of your life. The things that you put on high priority. If God knows the incidental things, when you lie and when you rise, then it would conclude that God also knows the deep, intimate, high prioritized things in your life. The psalmist says, you discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. There is not a thought in your head that God does not know before you have even formulated it. What you are thinking now. What you are feeling now. There are not emotions that go past 
the sight of God. There are not things that you know or feel or are going through that God is unaware of. When you don't desire God, God knows. When you don't desire his word, God knows. When you sit here this morning and you fall asleep, God knows why you're tired. When you don't desire to fellowship with him in prayer. And you and I can put on the show for one another. We can pretend all day long that we are one with God and presently communing with him. But he knows where you stand even now. You don't fool God. So when you pray to God. How you pray and when you pray and why you pray, even that God knows. So why would you and I attempt in any way, shape or form to be false with God? To not go to him and tell him when you don't desire him. Does he not already know? To not go to him and not tell him when you don't want to read his word. Does he not already know? Will he therefore be surprised when you say, God, I don't desire you right now. Oh, you hurt my feelings. Doesn't he know? Of course he knows. And let me say to you, comfortly, I hope, or in comfort, that those are valleys that we all experience in our flesh. They are valleys that we all walk through. They are darknesses that we all pass through. And listen, God knows. In the verse, in the third verse, the idea continues with direction. The direction that he is going. You search out my paths, my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in. God knows where you're going. He has ordered your steps. They've been ordered by the Lord. There is no turn that will be unsuspecting to God. There is no rerouting with God. There is no recalculating with God. God knows. The psalmist has this sense of of being closed in by God. I don't know if you've ever known that feeling. Where you can't escape. Where you are completely found out. Where who you are. And what you are is no longer a secret. You have hemmed me in. You've seen it all. You know it all. I've got nothing else to hide. How could I hide? You see it all. Even before a word is on my tongue. Even when I have conversation and speak and and that word that that escapes my mind that doesn't come from out of my mouth that I know is there but has left me God knows what that was you I completely found out by God don't you're not you're not fooling me I don't need to be fooled there's no show for me It is amazing to me sometimes when I speak about the Lord's Day and the importance of of that Sabbath Lord's Day. And people will come to me and say, I won't be here. Sorry. Say sorry to me. God knows where you are and why you're here or not here and why you don't want to be here or do want to be here. You're not fooling anybody. You could fool me. But you're completely exposed before God. God knows. God knows the populations of the world. The intricate strands of human existence. The weaving of divine providence. Even the sparrow that falls to the ground. Every need, every pain expressed by God's children. Every prayer That is brought before the throne of grace. Brothers and sisters. God knows. And knows you. All together. Perfectly. Exhaustively. 
You don't know you, but God knows you. And what a great comfort that is to the believer that we might say when we have nothing else to say, when we don't know how to pray as we ought, when we don't know the answers to the questions that people ask us. The knowledge of God is one of the glories of the Reformed faith that it gives us the liberty to say, I do not know the answer. I do not know the answer to your questions. Our great comfort in life and in death, in joy and in sorrow, in things seen and things unseen, in things that we perceive and things that are utterly confusing to us, is that we are able to say, to look up to the heavens and say, I do not know, I do not have the answers, but thou, O Lord, Thou knowest all things altogether perfectly and absolutely. I do not know. But you know. Let that be the comfort of your soul. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I do not understand. But you understand all things in the midst of all ignorance you know. The one who rests in the omniscience of God, in the all-knowingness of God, in the omniscience of God, is the one who in the midst of the storms of life can be at peace. How do you think Jesus was able to sleep in the boat during the storm? Because his father knows all things. His Father knows all things. God knows you through and through and through. What, a, what an immense comfort that is for you and I, if we're honest with ourselves. Recognize that deep down we are broken. We are confused. We, we are needy, twisted. So profoundly. And we are so profoundly in need of someone who understands us, who knows us. God has fashioned us in our mother's womb. He understands who I am. Listen, even if, even if you never met your parents or knew who they were or had the chance to grow up with them and see what you have inherited from them, God knows what you have gained from them. God knows what you have inherited from them. He knows you better than even they did or they do. Even when we say, like the great Augustine, I have become a puzzle to myself. God says, but you're not a puzzle to me. How profound the knowledge of God. He knows you. And do you realize that all of these things could be true. All of these things could be true about God. Focus. All of these things could be true about God. And he could have chosen to never reveal them to us. In his infinite love and mercy and grace, God has revealed all that is necessary to us in his word. And it was not necessary for him to do so. He could have chosen to, to, to not reveal himself to us. And he did so. Why? The psalmist tells us why. The knowledge of God is to be a mighty source of the believer's security. Verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake. And I am still with you. Brothers and sisters, the knowledge of God brings comfort to the believer who was assailed by the world, by the flesh and by the devil. And they are able to rest. We are able to rest our heads on our pillows at night and say, good night, Lord. You know all things. And should I awake or should I sleep? You know all things and I shall be with you. It is the answer. It's the answer to our deepest insecurities. Brothers and sisters, many of us are deeply insecure. 
deeply anxious about many things. Are we not? I know what it is to be anxious. I know what it is to be up at night, to not rest at night, to toss back and forth on my pillow. I know what that is. I speak as one who has called to encourage you. And in doing so, I, I am encouraging myself. The knowledge of God. God's omniscience is your comfort. It is your resource. The psalmist ends. Search me, O God. Imagine that you have so entrusted your heart, your mind and your soul to God that you would say, search me through and through. Know me. Know me as I am. And if you are an unbeliever this morning, that is a dreadful thought. If you are here this morning and you have, you have not repented of your sins, you have not acknowledged that God is holy, that you are a sinner, that you are in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ came to, to live a perfect life, to die a death that we deserved. And you, if you have not forsaken your own righteousness to trust in the righteousness of Christ, then the fact that God knows you, and He does, through and through, it is a dreadful thought. Because your sin is not hidden from God. And when this life is over, you will stand before him. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ alone. As I spoke to a young man this morning. Not your good deeds. Not your good works. Not the things that you think you can do. Know what God has done in Christ Jesus. That is your only way to stand before God innocent. You cannot escape him. God's eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, the whole earth. All things are known to him. But for the believer, the sheep who are known by their shepherd, the sheep who when the shepherd calls, they hear and they follow. Oh, the omniscience of God is a great comfort to your soul. That God knows. God knows himself. What a comfort that is. That God is not complex. That God is not confused. That God is not deciding to do one thing today and the next thing tomorrow. Oh, what a great comfort that is. That God is simple. That God is who he is all at once. That God's knowledge is Immense. He knows all things and that he knows you. What a wonderful truth that is. So this morning, if you hear the voice of your shepherd. then you are known by him. He knows you. And he calls you now to his table. To come and to fellowship and to worship with him. At this means of grace that he has provided for you at his table. Let's stand.